0: Welcome to Just Talkin' Story, brought to you by LifeWithAngie.com, home of the blog, we're not crazy, we're just a little insane. Now, let's talk story. It's been said that it's a noble thing to rescue a pet, and while I agree, it's, it's nice to give a good life forever home to a pet, I've been reviewing all the pets that have wandered through our lives and uh, I found out it's a very dangerous place to be in our house. We're sort of like the Bates Animal Motel. I first discovered our ability of adding tragedy to the pet world early in our marriage. Angie and I were living in Idaho at the time. We enjoyed having a variety of cats and dogs around the house. Even the neighborhood animals felt comfortable around us. And this was the case with the neighbor's large fluffy gray cat. On summer days, we'd leave our bedroom window open for fresh air and the cat would come into our room and he would often find him curled up on our bed. One evening, I heard the sound of the window slamming down in our bedroom, followed by Angie screaming. Derek, get it out, get it out. Well, at the same time, I started hearing a loud squalling coming from the outside of the front of the house. So I ran into the bedroom to find Angie hysterically pointing at something moving rapidly behind the window curtains. I approached it and pulled back the curtain to reveal about three inches of a gray furry tail projecting from our bedroom from the bottom of that double-hung window. So I ran outside and found the neighbor's cat hanging by its tail from our window. The look in his eye was telling me that uh, it wouldn't be a wise idea to come over and try and get that tail out from that side of the window. So I went back inside, I opened the window and the cat was gone. Well, the very next day, I I went into the neighbor's and I said, uh, "I'm really sorry, but my wife slammed your cat's tail in our window last night." And he said, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it. He's a stupid cat, and that's what he gets for being friendly." You see, that statement explains a lot about why most cats are quite aloof and have straight tails. The now kink-tailed cat survived his encounter with us, but he would never step foot on our property again. I watched it one day walking down the street, he had this distinctive Z-shaped tail held high. It looked like the protruding arm of an electric streetcar. And when it reached the beginning of our yard, it crossed the street and continued on, looking over suspiciously in case that crazy lady came out to try to customize any other part of its body. Another of these uh, unfortunate little animals in our house was Harry. Harry was just as his name implied. He was a long-haired guinea pig that my oldest daughter, Marissa, had inherited from her best friend's family. Now, Harry lived in a cage in Marissa's room and seemed content. The children would take him out to play with him and then forget to put him back, as usual. I would deduce this fact from the little round hairy pellets that would uh, he would leave on the floor as he wandered around the house. I suppose he left them there in case he got so lost that he couldn't get back, and all he had to do was follow them to the relative safety of his cage. It was these pellets that led to his unfortunate demise. One late summer morning, Angie told Marissa to clean out the cage. Of course, this is a very silly request, as everyone knows that children only promise to take care of the pets to get their uh, parents to let them keep them. Marissa simply moved Harry in his pellet-filled cage outside where Mom wouldn't see him let alone smelling. At the moment, the shadiest spot along the house was the rear driveway. Well, unfortunately, Marissa did not figure in the rotation of the earth and the fact that the shade would move. It turns out that that particular spot turns into a blast furnace for approximately 30 minutes every day. Angie and I had gone back to the hospital that day to bring our newest addition, Tristan, home as he had to spend his first night under an ultraviolet light due to a slight case of jaundice after being born. We had left 10-year-old Marissa home alone, and this was in the days when you could do that sort of thing and not be turned into child protective services. So we went; she went out to the cage and took Harry out to play with him. What she found was a totally limp and equally lifeless Harry. She dropped the little guy and ran into the house to tell us. That's when she realized we weren't home yet. So she called up her best friend's house in a panic. All she got was their answering machine. So she left the following message. I left him out in the sun. He's dead. I killed him. Of course, when they played the message back, they thought she was talking about her newborn baby brother, and they proceeded to panic and frantically try to call us as it appeared we now had a miniature female Hannibal Lecter on our hands. After we settled the confusion and sent the SWAT team home, we held a very somber funeral for our beloved furry little friend and buried Harry in the backyard. I've often imagined what it would be like for an archaeological team in many, many years from now to be digging around where our backyard is. They would find a vast array of uh, different type of animal species. They'd have no idea how in the world they got here. Little did they know that that was, of course, uh, unfortunate victims of the special kind of love for animals that exist in our family. Now this was not the last time we saw Harry. A week later, the dogs dug him up, had a ball rolling around in what was left of him, spreading little pieces of Harry all over the yard and under the deck. Another tragically loved pet was George the Finch. He was a cute little thing, and the family loved to hear his happy little songs emanating throughout the house. As usual, the children love to try and play with any pet, and this included George. They would open his cage and talk to him and were delighted when they can get him to sit on their fingers. Unfortunately, our children have an issue with doors. They've not been able to grasp that simple concept of closing them. There's many times when I would walk around the corner and find a smiling child sitting on the porcelain throne, Or I'd find the front door wide open on a 105-degree day as the electric meter ran mad. The air conditioner strained to keep up. So it was no surprise when we came home from a trip to find the door to George's cage open and its occupant long gone. The children were frantic, and I calmly told them just to fan out, search the house, and we'll no doubt find him. As I was searching the den, I noticed our little house dog, Sassy, was on the couch chewing on what I thought was one of her chew toys. Then I remembered that she didn't have any white feathered chew toys. I yelled at her to drop it, and I picked up poor George and examined him. His head was covered with sassy slobber, but he was still alive. I gently smoothed out his little feathers and talked to him soothingly as I placed him back into his cage. A solemn vigil was kept at his cage side by the children for the rest of the evening, but George had had enough, turned his little feet to the air, and assumed room temperature. Another somber funeral service was held in the pet cemetery of our backyard and it concluded with a song set to the tune of Poor Judd is Dead from the musical Oklahoma. Poor George is dead, sassy chewed on his head. We had another parakeet who tried to give us a hint that maybe we weren't the best caretakers of parakeets. During dinner we heard it start squawking and we looked over to find the little thing trying to hang itself from the mini blind cord it had happened to pull into its cage. We gave that suicide little bird away to Angie's aunt before it could make another attempt at taking his own life. Now our boys loved lizards, and our home became a temporary stop to many scaled little reptiles. One year, Angie and I came back from a trip to Hawaii and gave Ben a carved coconut in the shape of a monkey head. He thought it would make a great conversation piece in his lizard cage. Little did we know that carved coconut monkey heads must be very offensive to lizards, as the next day it appeared that all the occupants of the cage had unanimously decided to commit mass suicide. It was either that or all coconut heads from Hawaii are heavily treated with pesticides, I don't know. Needless to say, several more holes were made in the backyard in another somber ceremony. One year we had two large Cuban anole lizards we had a custom-made large display, display case for him, and uh, they were popular with all the kids and their friends. The boys would take them out of the cage and carry them around on their arms or shoulders, much to the delight and or horror of many a visitor to our home, it depended on their tolerance of all things scaly. The decision was made to add several smaller lizards to the enclosure for a variety of species. Unfortunately, we discovered that the favorite snack of the Cuban anole is anything smaller than itself we added the little lizards and watched in horror as they were gobbled up one by one the anoles soon fell ill apparently they had a bad small lizard and we had to put them in the freezer this was at the suggestion of the local pet store when we called them to ask what to do it appears they tell this to all their customers to help increase replacement lizard sales add two more holes to the backyard meanwhile The next occupant of the enclosure was a large iguana by the name of Iggy. He had a great but short life. His his days were spent under the sun lamp and riding around on the shoulders of Ben, causing of course panic among any female type person that was visiting his master's mother that day. Iggy met his own sad fate at the hands of Angie. Benjamin was back east for a month visiting family and Angie was in charge of Iggy's care. She dutifully kept fresh lettuce and vegetables in his bowl but forgot all about his need for water. She finally approached me and said, you know, I don't understand what Ben sees in that large lizard. All he does is sit on the tree branch and he never moves. He doesn't even touch his food. On closer inspection, I found that poor Iggy had expired quite a while ago and he was just stuck in frozen pose on the branches. We buried him out in the front as we had run out of room in the back. Now there are many other reptiles that temporarily called our home theirs. Speedy the lizard, he could run very fast on his hind legs, and hence the name. He had the bad habit of escaping quite frequently, so that pandemonium would again reign in our house until the escapee was recaptured. It seemed that all the scaly critters we had, the joy of knowing, would find their way out of the safety of their enclosures and into the dangerous world of closets, the underside of furniture, and the dark spaces in our house. I can't recall a joy known greater to man than that of finding a snake coiled up in your shoes as you try to put them on. We also had an assortment of the usual pets in our home. Dogs and cats have always been around. These animals had a more of a normal lifespan as they were a little larger and harder to kill than the others. And this is with the exception of one unfortunate black kitten. Uh, He had made the fatal error of curling up on a black sweater at the bottom of the step from the bathroom just as Angie was coming out from the shower wrapped in a towel. This tragic event led to an extensive therapy session for Angie that involved vast quantities of really good vodka. Angie never could wear fuzzy slippers again. Then there was that large black and white long-haired cat that a customer of mine had given me. He was a friendly enough cat. He'd spend most of his time hanging out in the front yard, and he uh, was always good for an occasional petting, a back scratching session. But he developed a bad and eventually fatal habit. Uh, That was of sleeping on the top of the rear dual tires of my work truck. One hot summer, when we were all away on vacation at the family cabin in Oregon, we had, we had left the house and its four legged menagerie in the care of one of our friend's teenage daughter, Michelle. When we returned home, I found a, a note taped to the front of the door that said, Derek, call me as soon as you get this, Michelle. When I called her, she explained that tragedy had stuck, struck when we were gone. She said that about a week ago, she heard Dave, one of our employees, come over to take my truck to work, and when she came out a few minutes later, she found the cat dead, lying on the driveway. I assured her that she was not to worry about this, as the cat obviously had spent the previous evening in the company of the local feline female floozies that plagued our neighborhood, and he was most likely sleeping off a long night of catnip, whiskey, and wild, wild women when his poor choice of sleeping quarters caught up with him. I asked her, what did you do with the body? And she said, oh, uh, I put it in a box in the garage. Great, I thought to myself. It's been over a hundred degrees all week. Well, I was not prepared for that exquisite odor that met me when I entered the garage. It pretty much knocked me back out the door, but I took a deep breath and forged ahead. As I looked around through my watering eyes in the garage that was filled with boxes of Angie's now very aromatic treasures, I realized that I should have asked for more details as to the location of that flattened cat's impromptu coffin. I followed the stench trail and finally noticed a fluffy black tail sticking out of one of the old oak antique milk crates that we had found at a yard sale last year. Due to the heat, the cat had apparently melted and had become one with the crate. So I took the whole stinky thing out and put it in the back of my truck. I informed Angie about the sad affair and told her I needed to run over to the shop to dispose of the remains before the kids saw or smelled it. I put the box into the dumpster at the shop and headed home to help unload the van. The next day at work, Conrad, another of our dear family friends who happened to have his shop next to mine in the same complex, came over to tell me about some moron that had put a melted cat in this beautiful oak milk crate in the dumpster. For the most part, these uh, larger animals would live in a feast or famine type of existence, as it was always a guessing game as to when they would be fed. Now that was the children's job, but to the children they were viewed as self-sustaining playthings that never required the care and attention that that they so strongly promised to their parents. To the parents, these animals were viewed as an occasional companion, and depending on the size of the animal, full-time depositor of Tootsie Rolls, cigars, or Presto logs in places that our friends would walk. Buddy, our Pekingese, was doing his duty to uphold the standard of quality for parental annoyance to his dying day. He had aged and had the unpleasant habit of imitating a miniature goat's ability to deposit potty pellets while walking across the floor. I would find a trail of Buddy pellets in a neat row, showing not only his direction of travel, but if you calculate the spacing, you could figure out his relative speed. I once noticed this glorious event during a, a glorious event, during a gathering of our friends at our home. Poor buddy didn't even notice the ongoing deposits as he shuffled across the floor. so I yelled at him, "Buddy!" He turned around and looked at me, and then at the neat line of Tootsie rolls across the floor with a look of "Where did those come from?" Now one of the many cats that blessed us with their presence was Dracula. He was a male Siamese that had a severe mother separation issue. He would get into the children's bed after they were asleep and suckle on their necks, leaving little cat hickeys. This led to several intense phone calls from the parents of the kids' friends, who would spend the night only to fall victim to Drack, the phantom neck sucker, and they were quite curious about these marks on their children's neck. Bedtime at our home during this time of Drac's reign was always signaled by Ashley bursting into melodramatic anguish at the first mention of having to go to bed. At the first cry of despair, Drac would run off into the living room and hide under the furniture to await his prey on their way to their bedrooms. He'd run out from his hiding place to attack the tasty little ankles going by. The kids would cower in the hallway waiting to make the mad dash through the living room of death. They would grab pillows or books to fend off the attack and sometimes they resembled a group of sadly deformed spina bifida victims, shuffling across the room with frantically waving random household items around their feet. A mother and son duo of dogs that we had was Cinder and Brutus. They occupied the backyard for many years. They were good dogs for the family and grew old and happy in their fenced little kingdom. We would take them out for walks around the neighborhood, much to the delight of Cinder, who loved it, but not to Brutus, her son. Brutus was a good-looking dog. He was strong and muscular with a long-tailed Rottweiler look about him. And if any unauthorized animal would dare come into his backyard, they were met with a swift and usually fatal end. Uh, This was the case with several of the neighborhood cats that made the one-time mistake of entering into his domain. Our cats, of course, were accepted and protected by him, but any four-legged strangers were fair game. One day, one of the children brought home a tortoise as a pet. Uh, He lasted only as long until he was left alone out in the backyard and Brutus decided he was a threat to the family and turned him into a chew toy. Despite his imposing appearance, Brutus was a devout coward outside of the backyard. When we would take him out for a walk with his mother, it would turn into more of a dragging session than a walk. At the end of this exercise, I would usually be the one to have to carry this four-legged, 80-pound pansy back into the backyard. The years eventually took their toll on Brutus and Cinder as Cinder developed epileptic seizures and Brutus would lose all power and control to his rear legs. The decision was then reluctantly made to take them to the vet for a humane termination of their pitiful conditions. This sad task fell to our oldest daughter, Marissa, and her new husband, Darren. We had made the appointment at the pet hospital and Marissa and Darren took them there at the appointed time. They were met with stares of disapproval from the tree-hugging animal worshipers behind the reception desk as they carried in these decrepit animals. They were escorted into an examination room to await the vet. They placed Cinder and Brutus on the floor where Cinder went into her normal seizure and Brutus just collapsed into a heap. Much to their amazement though, the dog suddenly recovered and assumed a four-legged tail wagging stance just as the vet entered the room. So he asked, so what brings you here today? "'Well, we need to have these two dogs put down,' my daughter said. The vet looked at these two obviously happy little beasts and said, "Uh, "'Are you sure? They they look pretty good to me.'" "'Oh, no,' Marissa replied. "'They're both suffering. Cinder is having seizures and Brutus can't walk anymore.'" And of course, during this conversation, the old dogs are happily scampering about, showing that vet that they're perfectly fine and these two would-be assassins are out of their minds. As the vet reluctantly left the room and got the injections for the dogs, they again collapsed into a quivering mass, only to revive again as he entered the room and administered the fatal doses. Marissa and Darren, these two angels of death, left the clinic with the now two deceased victims of their obvious cruelty in a leaky cardboard box and they felt the stares of hatred and loathing from the, vet, the veterinarian staff. It was boring into the back of their heads. Uh, now they left the dogs in the box in the back of our SUV for me to plant in the animal orchard in our backyard. Now there was one dog, however, that lived with us much longer than most. Her name was Sassy. Sassy was, was with us for about oh, a little over 15 years. She was a, a Doxhound a Dachshund, uh, Chihuahua mix with an obsession for food. It was amazing how much food this little beast could put away. It was as if it was her last meal and yet she still stayed relatively skinny. I assumed that she was actually just a tapeworm in doggy clothing. If anyone had any food, you could count on Sassy being right next to them with her bugged eyes, staring intently, and then shaking her whole body in anticipation. One time she was next to me during dinner and I held up my paper napkin and asked her if she'd like a taste. Of course, she stood on her little hind legs to signal her approval of the offering, so I dropped the napkin, and she had it two-thirds of the way down her throat before she realized it was not what she expected. Well, of course, pandemonium ruled again as king in our house, and now I had to perform a little doggy-type Heimlich maneuver on the wide-eyed little glutton to dislodge that napkin. Besides her food obsession, Sassy was actually a very good little house dog. As with all small dogs, she maintained her position of top dog among the cavalcade of beasts. paraded through our lives with vicious ferocity. The one occasion I was out in the driveway when a large Doberman pincher approached me menacingly. Before I could even react, a, uh, a miniature black and tan blur raced by me. With the ferocity of an enraged she devil she chased that intruder away. It was almost comical to see this large, well muscled beast running for its life from this bug eyed holy terror, it appeared to be intent on making it its next meal. Sassy was also the self appointed nurse of the family. She had this incredible ability to sense when a family member was getting ill. She would not leave the side of anyone that was sick, but would stay there right next to them until a full recovery was made. She was also very protective of her patients. We have a picture of her lying on the back of our daughter Ashley as said daughter was face down in the bathroom worshiping the porcelain gods Ralph and Roy. She had a very intense bout of stomach flu. Sassy was there, standing on her back with her fangs barred and fire shooting from her eyes as she perceived an ominous uh, ominous threat from the parents that were looking on. For such a fearless protector of the family, it was odd that Sassy seemed to always be thinking that her little life was about to be snuffed out. Besides always begging for food, she was also always cowering down in fear and submission, often with a trail of yellow liquid behind her as a peace offering. I often told Ashley that when Sassy died, I'd have her stuffed in her normal crouched-over position with one of her rear legs slightly raised and a small yellow puddle under her quivering backside. This animal definitely had some serious mental issues, and surely she would have made a perfect poster dog for the doggy Prozac. We could always tell when Sassy would find some unattended food and dispose of it in her typical starving wolf fashion. Her little body would inflate to almost twice her normal size, leaving her almost high centered on her belly, the little legs barely making contact with the ground. When this would happen, we'd simply put her outside in case of explosion and then wait and see if she deflated back to normal size, which usually was the case in about 24 hours. Sassy's greed for food ultimately led to her unfortunate demise. We had a gathering at our home and some of the kids left several servings of McDonald's french fries out on the deck. These were, of course, irresistible toward a little four-legged garbage disposal and were promptly devoured with gusto. Little did we realize that Ronald McDonald was actually the doggy Grim Reaper in disguise. That rapid intake of this toxic meal was too much for the now 15-year-old dog, and she once again inflated a football size for the last time and went to the little doggy vomitorium in the sky. The usual solemn funeral service was conducted, and another future discovery for the archaeological team was placed into our underground animal kingdom. Uh, the dogs that we had at one time consisted of uh, Jack, a 90 pound boxer pit bull mix, and Moose, a 180 pound great Dane that thought he was a miniature poodle because all he wanted to do was sit on your lap anytime he could. We also have a variety of cats that come and go as they please, because as we all know, you don't own cats. They just allow you to feed them. Shortly after we had adopted Moose from a family that ran out of room to keep him, uh, we discovered his love of Chihuahuas. I was in my office in the backyard and saw him and Jack standing at the rear fence tilting their heads in wonder as two of the neighborhood's Chihuahuas viciously voiced their displeasure at their presence. I went out to them and was greeted with the sight of two little muzzles sticking out of a small space under the fence. They were snarling ferociously at these perceived threats to their doggy domain. As we all know, Chihuahuas have that small dog syndrome that makes them feel invincible and usually results in their tragic demise at the jaws of much larger and less patient breeds of dogs. As I stood there, Moose gave two sweeps with his massive paw to the opening, enlarged it enough for the two yapping beasts from Hades to stick their heads through and continue their assault. (laughs) <laughs> I shook my head and walked back to my office and I looked up from my work to see Moose's head slowly lower down to the opening in the in the, in the fence for a closer inspection of these little demon dogs. What followed brings to mind the scene of that movie Jurassic Park. Remember where the Tyrannosaurus Rex lowered his head to make the little snack of the lawyer seated on the toilet as moose's head came up, I noticed that dangling from his mouth was the highly animated wiggling body of one of the Chihuahuas as Moose had him by the head. Before I could react, Moose flipped his head to the side and launched this little thing, spiraling into the air, only to grab it as soon as it hit the ground and launch him again in another direction. By this time, Jack was bouncing around with the expression of, throw it to me, throw it to me, all over his face. I rushed out and put a quick stop to their little game of catch, and the now slobber-covered and totally hysterical little creature made a beeline back through the opening to the safety of his yard. Today, these little guys still do their normal hysterical barking through the fence, but they make sure not to stick any bardy parts through the fence that Moose could play with. I wonder what caused Moose to do this, as he was an extremely gentle giant and never showed any aggression to any other animal he met. Then I suddenly realized that uh, the picture that the previous owner had sent me when we were thinking of adopting him was Moose sitting with his favorite stuffed toy in his mouth. It was the Yo Taco Bell chihuahua dog. I would have to say that the most unusual pet we ever had was a small snake one of the neighbors found in their garage. They called up the house to ask to see if Ben could come down to capture it. Everyone knew that the Youngs were animal people. They never knew that we were the Adams family of the animal kingdom though. Ben went down and returned with a small snake-like creature and Angie put it in a jar and sent the kids out to get leaves and twigs to make it more comfortable. I was away on a business trip, so they called me to inquire of my great and vast knowledge of animal husbandry as to what species of snake this might be. Their descriptions didn't fit anything I was really knowledgeable about, so I told them that I'd have to wait to do a thorough examination when I returned in two days. In the meantime, I told them not to handle it until I could make sure of the species. Angie and the children spent their time watching this new member of the family through the glass jar. They even went to the point of putting it at the dinner table so that they could look at it while they ate dinner. Two days later, when I returned, they proudly presented me with their amazing find. They anticipated that they would be hailed as the discoverers of a new and exotic snake species. My examination revealed that this creature was about six inches long with a cauliflower shaped head. It resembled more of a worm than a snake as it had no scales. After getting more information about where it was found, I being the final authority of all things scaly, announced that their discovery was, in fact, quite a rare find. This little creature usually is not observed outside of its normal habitat, which happens to be the colon and lower digestive tract of most canines. Yes, my family had discovered, picked up, sheltered, and entertained at dinner a large tapeworm from the neighbor's dog, who had deposited it on the garage floor. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that story. If you have any suggestions or comments, uh, please leave them at lifewithangie.com on the comment page, and they'll get to me. If you'd like to buy the storyteller a cup of coffee, it just happens to be a coffee cup icon that you can click on to do that. We'll see you next time.